Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 878 with Donald Moore. The best comparison I give you there is the iPhone. It's like the iPhone's great, but you get these updates and it knows where your car is parked and it keeps making it better. The genius of Apple is they keep refining their current products to exhaustion. Cheesecake does the exact same thing. They just don't tell everybody. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. This episode is brought to you by Sculpture Hospitality. Are you sick of managing your inventory? If the answer isn't yes, um, I'll be surprised. Honestly, I'll be a little surprised. Uh, and if the answer was yes, then there's Sculpture Hospitality out there looking to help you. Leave your inventory management to the experts while you focus on making your customers happy. With Sculpture, not only can they do the physical inventory counting for you, but they can dive into your inventory data, combining that with your sales and purchase data using seamless integrations to give you real insights and visibility into your restaurant's profitability and putting your profits back where they belong. If you're ready to gain complete visibility and control of your bar or restaurant inventory, get a free, no obligation inventory consultation from Sculpture Hospitality. Visit sculpturehospitality.com slash unstoppable. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. You can support our show by supporting our sponsors, using our affiliate links, and sharing this podcast with everybody you know aspiring to be great 
in the restaurant industry. And don't forget, we're always looking to build our community over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. So today we're talking to somebody who's been on my radar for at least two years now. I first heard of Donald Moore back when I interviewed Mario Del Perro uh, for the second time. It was actually in March of 2020, just before the pandemic, when I last connected with Mario. And uh, at the end of that episode, I had Mario call somebody out and he called out Donald Moore and he's has had such great things to say about Donald and uh, who is Donald Moore. So Donald, I want to say he was from the mid Atlantic area, Delaware, DC area. He got involved in restaurants early on. Uh, Some people saw that he had talent and that just put him on this path of cooking throughout Seattle, Boston, Baltimore, and New York city before he saw I think it was an ad for the Cheesecake Factory that they're hiring and that they were giving away a BMW. We're not giving away, but you would get a BMW uh, after you reach a certain point with working from them. I think it was maybe like a manager, a kitchen manager or something like that. So he decided to give it a go and he just climbed through the ranks at the Cheesecake Factory from uh, assistant manager to manager to like regional director to area director. I don't, I can't remember the, the specific steps he took, but by 2007, he was the VP of kitchen operations. Then by 2010, he was chief culinary officer for the cheesecake factory. Then he would spend the next 10 years with the cheesecake factory. And this company, the cheesecake factory uh, is just one of these companies that has been able to scale uh, with keeping things complicated in the sense that they, they don't lower their bar. They have this, the standard for excellence and a lot of companies will cut corners to become more efficient, to lean more on systems uh, and not depend on people. But for some reason, the cheesecake factory has been able to maintain this presence within the industry while scaling, which is so hard to do. And we get into that today and how the cheesecake factory was able or is able to maintain its high level of culture while maintaining its high touch, especially in the back of house with, you know, all the recipes are from scratch and they, they don't cut corners And how do you maintain quality in scale? I mean, it's a great episode. We answer these questions. You're going to love it. Here he is. Donald Moore. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest chief or to say former chief culinary officer and executive vice president of kitchen operations at the Cheesecake Factory and current partner at Dom Food Group, Donald Moore. I should say Chef Donald Moore. Are you feeling unstoppable today? For sure. Thanks for coming. Honor to be here. Oh my God. It's, a, it's an honor to have you here. And you're here because obviously because you had an incredible career, but also because one of my best interviews, and, and I, I feel comfortable saying this, uh, I had such a blast talking to Mario Del Perro almost two years ago. And when I last spoke to him, he called you out to be a future guest on the show. And he had such great things to say about you. And I'm just so excited to be here to share your story, and I cannot wait to dive into who you are and how you got to where you are today, but let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? For sure. It's funny you bring up Mario because this is something I think about him all the time. It's uh, this quote I live by. It's what you do in the dark puts you in the light. Ooh. What you do in the dark puts you in the light. How does that resonate to you? What's, what's, what was the yeah, message? I actually saw this years ago when Michael Phelps was winning all this, all the gold medals in the Olympics. And uh, I'm from Maryland. He's a Baltimore guy yeah. and big fan. And he 
trained so hard on his body and his mind to get to be one of the best athletes in the world of all time. And what I've seen in the restaurant space is those that really put in the work, you know, hard work's one thing, but really studying, being students of the game, looking for mentorship, going out and seeking the tough conversations, looking for feedback are the people that have really changed the industry. And I've been fortunate to work with a lot of those people. So the people that are grinding all the time, researching, doing homework, looking for the best ideas or yeah. the ones that have really made the, listening made the change. To you, yeah. Listening to you talk, I have this image of an iceberg and we don't, it's all the stuff that, that's below the surface that we don't see. That's impressive. Right. And, and all that comes together to be the peak of what you see at the top, but we only ever see what's at the top. We never see what's below the surface. And that's right. That's where the majority of stuff is yes right? without question i mean i think that um i spend a lot of my free time reading learning experiencing and um and i think a, a part of my success in my career is that i go into everything with eyes wide open and there's inspiration everywhere and um and ears ready to listen yeah and um and i've been able to apply that to what i've been doing for a long time beautiful man a uh, great way to get this thing started where does it make sense to start sharing your story? When did you know that the culinary, the restaurant industry, hospitality was going to be your path? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think um, I thought I was going to be a professional soccer player. That's what I did my whole life. And I was a place kicker in football and recruited by um, a lot of major universities in the States to do both of those things. And, and the reason why I bring that up is I grew up in an amazing household with hospitality and food at the center of everything we did. Uh, mother and three older sisters. My father passed away of cancer when I was seven years old. So um, my mom showed me unbelievable work ethic to raise four kids on a very low salary. So on nights and weekends, we were often staying at people's houses, catering for their dinners or cooking their brunches. And I thought that was like part of the normal thing. And I was helping my mom prep and wash dishes. And, and so on the food side, I was, I was, it was in our universe constantly about feeding people and serving people. And then the other part of our house was my mom always sort of took everybody in. So if you had a problem with your parents or you had a drug problem or some other issue that might not have been right at that time, you sort of slept on our couch or slept on our floor. So our house was Grand Central Station. And I thought that was completely normal as a seven-year-old and eight-year-old. But what my mom was doing was really helping people out that needed support and yeah. talking to kids at night that maybe had a problem with their family or something in life feeding them she often didn't eat to be able to take care of them so service hospitality uh, nurturing and putting yourself second i think is in the fabric yeah. of my childhood i like to echo the synonyms of hospitality as much as possible and people i think lose sight of what the what it is what, what hospitality is it's warmth it's neighborliness it's generosity. It's caring. It's being there for your people. And it's, it's, and that's what your, your mom was doing. She yeah. Was it's also, you know, caring. we're all busy. We all have a lot of competing priorities. Yeah. It's being completely switched on Yeah, and taking the time to be focused on what's happening in that moment and being disciplined to do that. And I think I got great, great values and, um, in my mom and my sisters, uh, with that, that I apply to business to today. I love that. So at what point were you like, okay, this is my path. I'm going to go to school for this. Where yeah. So I, I went to college in South Carolina. Okay. I, I worked in restaurants starting at 13 years old. Funny story, uh, was I wanted these Puma King soccer cleats and my mom's like, we can't afford them. Go get a job. So I started at this place called the crab claw, which is a tourist trap. Imagine a giant table with pitchers of beer and crabs and French fries and pickles and cheese. And I was a bus boy there hustling every summer to buy my soccer gear nice. and loved it. Yeah. I loved the food, loved the energy, loved the carnival like atmosphere, like that 
it was different every day, um, whether the, you know, cause food grows in the ground or falls off a tree. So the food we were serving to people had to be changed and worked with every day. And then the people were different every day and loved being busy and, and, and taking care of people. Do you think there's fewer kids working in restaurants today than when you came up? Yeah, for sure. Why is that? Um, I think that it's a different world. I mean, I think there's technology, there's different paths to growth. I think, um, we put a lot of pressure on kids today to do more than we probably did during our childhood and over scheduling the kids. I mean, there's a million reasons. Um, but yeah, I think it's changed a lot. I I just think that there's so much that can come from making a kid go to work to understand the value of money. If you you want that, okay, you can have it. Yeah. Here's how. Yeah. I got a a great lesson in that. You know, (laughs) if you want something, you've got to go make the money. And my mom did her best, but, um, I learned at a very uh, early age that I learned how to survive at a very early age. And I think that was a valuable life lesson to me. I have three boys hope to do the same for them. I think, I don't know why, but it it feels like, I don't know. It's almost as if parents are trying to shelter their kids as long as possible from like reality, the work life or whatever. Yeah, look, I'm the rest of your life to work. I'm no elementary (laughs) education expert, but I think it's a competitive world. And I think that people are trying to set their kids up to be successful in the world. So maybe work is secondary to what it was back in the day when we were all growing up. I don't have kids. What do I know? But I definitely have noticed that. Uh, So what were you studying at college? I actually went for marine biology, which is the opposite of what I'm doing. So then I got out of school, was working in a bunch of restaurants and uh, I had a stint in New York City. And then I, I was following the cheesecake factory and uh was in baltimore and was a couple of things happened i saw um a few lines like people lining up and sitting on mall floors to go into this restaurant i was like my sister took me to a grateful dead concert when i was 13 years old and there's people just lined up on the walls sitting down that was what probably is this? this is probably 93 in the grateful dead okay but uh I would, they were they were sitting on the ground for different reasons. I think they had too much to drink and <laughs> probably did too many drugs. But the but there was such demand for the business. And then I was reading Restaurant Nation's Restaurant News, and they always had this ad in the back that ge- all general managers get a BMW. And um, why were you reading re- uh, Nation's Restaurant News? Well, at the back of Nation's Restaurant News is where all the sort of job job. Okay. So at this point, you're just thinking, I like working in the restaurant industry. I don't know if this is my career. Yeah, no, I I got into the, I worked in the restaurant business. So I'm, you know, straight from 13 to today. Okay. And I never took a break. How old are you in 93? Not to date. 93. I think I was 16 years old. 16. Okay. So, um, basically you are working in the restaurant industry. You're getting this experience. At what point are you saying, this is what I want to do. This is my path. Yeah, I think uh, in college, I started to really go, well, this is really interesting. And I loved going to work every day. And um, like 95 is yeah, the time. Yeah, 95, 90 yeah. to 99. And I really got hooked on the food part and then the hospitality part. And then my dad was an economics professor. So okay. I'm sort of a chef that loves the economic side of the business too. A good chef to have. Yeah, loves data. And, um, so I really found it fascinating. I'm sort of putting all the pieces together to, re- to run a good business. Yeah. So what was your plan, your strategy? What, what are you putting yourself into that person way back in 1996, 1995? What's going on in your head? Yeah. I think what's going on in my head is not to put too much pressure on myself and just keep trying a lot Yeah. and not, you know, I think so many kids come out of college today. I see it all the time. They're like, I just graduated from a good university or college and I have to have my life solved on day one. Yeah. I was the opposite of that. I was like, let's just go try some stuff and let me go move to Boston. Let me go move to 
Baltimore. I'll go to San Francisco. I had a, my brother-in-law, Nate, uh, who lives in Seattle, he was just like, you should, while you're young, and you can go experience a lot of things. Why not go do it? Yes. So I wasn't, I was sort of very, very open to putting myself in uncomfortable situations so I could learn more and really keep searching for what I really want to do in life. Any young person listening to this who might be thinking about going to culinary school, I'm not saying don't go to culinary school, but definitely live a little first travel get experience work in restaurants get some intentionality you know get an idea of what it is that you like and what it is you want to do so when you do go to college you're a little more intentional with it right and get that experience yeah um, i mean i think if you this is could, after college for you this is during and after okay. yeah after, yeah after, immediately after college but i think that the thing is is I, I can look back on my life and go every one of those experiences where i was going willing to go do something that was completely uncomfortable and foreign and go somewhere without family have shaped who I am today. Um, and I've mentors from those experiences, things I apply to my disciplines every day from those experiences, and, and I wouldn't change a thing. And it was, uh, it was a little scary at the time when you're a young kid and moving away from your family and trying something new, but, um, every one of those stops shaped who I am today. So you said Seattle, Boston, Baltimore, where else did you go during this time? I lived in New York city for a while as well. New York city. Um, you said you had tons of great experiences who shaped who you are, mentors. Hover over one or maybe two if you can't decide which one to focus on of these experiences that really help form who you are today, specifically honing in on mentors who influenced you. Yeah, there's a guy in South Carolina named Ashby Gray. I worked for this restaurant company, a small one in college um, called Battleground Restaurant Groups and Trips. And he, I think he was an area director at the time. And he saw something in me and mm. there's nothing better than when somebody goes, I think that that kid has talent. Yes. Um, Why is there nothing better? Yeah. Because it makes you feel important and valued and like you are going to be someone and, and there's so many insecurities in life and a lot of people struggling internally, like with, with imposter syndrome. And he took me in and he was like, I'm going to, I think you have a lot of potential. I'm going to shape a plan for you. And I think you can really grow. And he was very specific around it. And, um, and he was direct. I'm the kind of person where I don't like to sort of dance and I don't need soft feedback. Um, I want to know where I stand. And he was very, very honest with me. And then, and his standards for running the business, he was meticulous. Mm -hmm. And give me an example of what meticulous standards. uh, It was a line check in the kitchen to the way we wrote schedules, to the way we were managing labor, to how the ribs also was caramelized. His depth of knowledge on everything to make that restaurant successful. Um, he had the discipline of a Navy SEAL or an Army Ranger. Nothing was going to stop him from making sure those standards were met. And, um, and even then, he, at the same time, he was very open to feedback. Of, well, I think, look, here's a better way to cook the ribs, or here's a better way. We should be talking to our staff in this language because all they really care about at this age is their schedule and not making money and their Except quality that from day one yeah. because you're not going to change it. Yeah. And he, and he, and he was open to it. So I think yeah. from a leadership standpoint, he was, um, he was intolerant to mediocrity, um, but he was open to feedback to make the business better. Mm-hmm. And those were two great values uh, for me. And, and I think he valued quality of life at the same time. He yeah. wanted the restaurant to run well, but he also wanted me to, have a good life. And here I was a young kid and what a, what an unbelievable gift at that age uh, to be able to get some of those things sort of in my toolkit. Yeah. And I think it's just so important. And anytime I, I've been able to share a lot of origin stories and there's definitely a theme or a commonality between or just recognizing the power of a mentor, somebody 
saying you're good at this. You have what it takes. You're talented. And I think it's so important that as owners and leaders, we reinforce people who, if they have it, let them know. We're not self-aware at 16, 17, 18 years old. We haven't developed that type of emotional intelligence yet of self-awareness. We need people to make us self-aware, to to reinforce. The the universe gives you clues. And these are clues of helping people be on pass. This is... This is so important. If you are working in the industry and you have young people who are good at this, let them know you might change their life, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think whether you're introverted or extroverted, I I can't be more effusive about like mentorship, like about really good mentorship. You need to find your rhythm. I think I was really good about if I couldn't get access to somebody that I thought was really going to change my game, I would do anything I could to be at the end of the table listening and just sitting there quietly and trying to like that gal has it. And I want to know everything she says that comes out of her mouth. I'm going to write everything down. And I know I can't, I'm not, I don't have a seat at the table, but I'm going to focus on the things cause she's brilliant at what she does. Or if you do get access, be stubborn and be relentless. And I was like, wow, you know, this person is somebody that I look up to so much. Why not just go ask him if I can have a little bit of time with him. And uh, you know, even today in my role, I, an hour a day, two hours a day, I go have lunch with somebody that I want to learn something or have a cup of coffee or go for a walk. You're doing it right now. Yeah. And, and I'm constantly looking for more info, more data, more ways to be successful, whether it applies to me or for the, the companies that I run or yeah. I'm a part of. Um, that's non, I, I never stop there. So I think that for young people, walk up to somebody that you admire um, and ask them and you'd be very surprised how many people are willing to commit to you yeah. versus I think a lot of people think mentorships in a book, which it can be, or you have to have this program that's documented sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody is some of the best mentorship out there. And I, and, and not to get run on here, but I think that one of the things I learned later in life is to be looking for mentorship outside of just the restaurant space is to go into other areas. If you, for, if you're, if your superpowers are service, go look for service opportunities and mentorships in other businesses outside of the restaurant space. Or if you love design and engineering, go study Tesla and all these IDEO and all these companies that are doing incredible things and get, find mentorship there. I think sometimes people that come up in our space think it's only within the four walls of the restaurant they're working on and those people that yep. they're working with. And I think and that's a lot of the reason why our industry is behind. Yeah. Because sure. we don't, we're, our, our head's always down working. Yeah. And the world around us has been evolving. There's a great uh, thing from Johnny Ive, who was the chief design officer at Apple. And he said, find inspiration everywhere. And I think I, it's something I live by every day is like at every opportunity where it's in the coffee shop or an interaction like this, or at my kid's baseball game that I'm coaching, there's ideas everywhere and interesting yeah. people everywhere. And if you have your eyes open and your ears open, you can find a lot of things that can help you in life, yeah. especially in, that you can apply to business. And that resonates with me. Back in 2012 when I was starting this podcast or when I got the idea to start this podcast, I was trying to find a restaurant business podcast and it didn't exist. And it's just an example of how this industry is kind of behind. But then I started listening to other entrepreneurs from different verticals and just being influenced to that and then looking back at the restaurant industry just thinking like, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we sharing knowledge? Like there's, I mean, the restaurant industry is the second largest industry in the world, but it's like, as far as like size, but as far as progress, I feel like we're like maybe 10 on the list, you know, like, so looking to other industries to get that inspiration of what technology can do and where, where our like technological industries are, 
to get that influence, to, how can we take that and apply it to what we're doing over here? Yeah. You know? I, I, look, I, I can imagine your listeners, especially those coming up in the business that are new to the space are like, when do you find the time to do that? And, um, that is that if I could give like a golden nugget right now, it's, you have to make the time like yeah. back to my quote about it's what you do in the dark, puts you in the light. Mm-hmm. Those that I've seen have gone to the top of this industry and the top could be as a dishwasher or a CEO of a company or a founder of a business is whatever you want your top to be, um, are really, really selfish about finding a little bit of time to work on themselves every day, mm-hmm. whether it's reading a book, having a conversation, going and having an interaction with somebody that they don't know, but they're constantly working on themselves. And it's hard for restaurant managers in particular to go, I just worked a 12 hour shift. I'm short staffed. I wash dishes. The pasta machine broke. And you want me to go read a book? Yeah. Um, If you want to advance your career faster and have a bigger impact on your business and be full of pride, you need to find the time to work on yourself. I can't, this isn't meant to be self-serving, but I cannot overestimate or over put over overvalue the significance, the power of audio, audio books. Yeah. There's all the time in the world to be learning. Just put it on in the background. Listening is the one thing you can do and do other things. You, you know, you can just listen to audio and you can prep. You can listen to audio. You can do other things, driving to work, going to the gym, listen, make the most of that time and like overlap audio with most general things that you do in life. And you can learn always. Uh, and I mean, podcasting is another great resource, but I'm, I'm thinking about audiobooks specifically, but yeah, for sure. Look, the, the car ride back and forth to work is the best place. Yeah. And, um, I'm a, I love podcasts. I'm a huge fan of yours, obviously, Thank but you. I, like smart list with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. And those are things that are not even in the restaurant space that I get little nuggets about how to communicate and make work a little bit more fun or somebody really genius comes in on how I built this and, I hear their struggles of how they built their company. And I go, wow, I'm not alone here. Yeah. And there's some comforting things in a lot of this too. So I'm a big fan of constantly yeah. reading and listening. I'm loving this conversation. Any other key mentors before joining the cheesecake factory? Well, yeah. I mean, um, I would say that my key mentor was my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was exceptionally hard on me but very, very loving. So I have this stand, this one of these quotes I live by in business, which is be exceptionally hard on the standard, but easy on people. Mm. So I was the values of my life for my mom at a very early age, where if you're going to do something, do it with excellence. Yeah. Whether There's it, a very similar quote, correct the process, not the person. Yeah. So this business in particular, and I want to hammer this point is hard and it's a lot of work and sometimes for a little return. So, when it comes to mashed potatoes being perfect and being creamy, lumpy, bumpy, and seasoned right and fresh, um, I have zero tolerance for that not happening. But I have a lot of patience with the people that have to do that every day. Yeah. And I just don't believe that people wake up in the morning, take their kids to school, kiss, walk their dog, kiss their wife goodbye, and go, let me see how bad I can screw this place up today. <laughs> so what's going wrong when it's not happening to the standard? Tune in before you turn on. Like I see so many restaurateurs walk into a restaurant and just start hammering the place for everything that's wrong yet they don't ask the general manager or the that saute cook how's your day what's going on in your life maybe you didn't know that their dog got hit by a car or something tragic happened in their life or they're struggling financially and so it's critical that like the standard of clean floors unbelievable hospitality delicious memorable food is has got to be held at you know the gold standard every day but make sure you're 
applying a soft tone with the people that have to do it. And that's how I've gained an unbelievable amount of loyalty with talent, and which is sort of my, um, one of the things I think is one of my unicorn strengths is like people. Mm. Um, because I really, I'm sort of, I don't tolerate any good food and service has to be perfect, but the people I'm a big fan of helping you get there in life, feeling good about things, going home with a clear head, making sure you feel positive. I love it. Uh, so if you don't want to bring any other key transformative experiences before joining the cheesecake factory, we can kind of get into that now. Sure. Uh, before we do that, I want to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by chow. Now a commission free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guest. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and you kind of talked to us about um, how you, you your first experience with the Cheesecake Factory was just witnessing this long line. You, you looked into the back of the Nation's Restaurant News magazine. You saw that there was a, a posting. What was the job posting that you saw? It was uh, they had marketed that every general manager gets a BMW. Okay, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so when was this? Were you? 23? This is probably in the late '90s. Late '90s. Yeah. You, how many? Re- you worked in Seattle. You worked in Boston. You worked in Baltimore. You worked in uh, New York City. Uh, at this point, are you committed? This is your path. This is your for path. sure. Yeah. Um, was there a point where that kind of happened for you that you re- you remember thinking this is exactly what I want to do? Yeah, I think in New York City, I was working in a restaurant. Love the founder. And, um, I saw this as an opportunity. I think that I was able, able to, you know, my love of food, my love of people, my love of great design, my love of like trying to figure out economics and then probably my athletic background of like, there's an opportunity in this business to, for leadership Mm -hmm. and for standards and teamwork. And, you know, David Overton, the founder of cheesecake always said that in, in, the restaurant business, it's like war or sports. All you have is the people to the left and the right of you. And I thought I had a, a ability to lead probably from my sports background that would apply well to the restaurant business. And, and I'm easily bored. And, uh, and I found that the restaurant business is ever changing and the complexity of it kept me sort of engaged yeah. every day. And, um, so I found a really natural home there. Yeah. And there's, 
an infinite amount to learn in this industry. Like you'll never learn it all. Yeah. The, the more you learn, the more you'll realize there's more to learn. Yeah. I know you like quotes, but there's no finish line in the restaurant <laughs> industry. No, never. Uh, so what kind of restaurants were you working in? Were you working in independent? I worked in some fine dining restaurants, some chain restaurants. Um, but I grew up, I mean, the values of what I got at the crab claw were when I was 13 years old, were the greatest values of like serve delicious, memorable food, have unbelievable hospitality, make the place feel like a carnival where it's exciting. Um, if you, if you mess up, get it right, get your prices right. Like there's sort of this, like we, sometimes we overcomplicate the restaurant industry. It's like an old mentor is like, it's just burgers and fries, man. Don't make it any more complicated than yeah. that. Um, so I was able to sort of like, like those things were like, Duh, this is sort of what yeah. makes it work. Let's not forget that. Yeah. So you see this uh, job posting in the back of this magazine. Uh, did you just like send your resume in? What'd you do? I think I sent my resume in and then they called me and I got to talk to my mentor who hired all the kitchen people at the time. And with Cheesecake Factory, you have to take a step back. So you could be an executive chef somewhere, but then you sort of take, because there's such an incredible training and development company. Um, you would take a step back to a kitchen manager and have to work your way up. So the average tenure at the time when I was still there of like getting promoted to be a kitchen manager, to be in an executive kitchen manager, running one of their locations with a general manager was like 4.1 years. So I was sort of in the interview process. I was like, whoa, I don't want to wait 4.1 years to be an executive chef again. And you're asking me to take a huge pay cut, which um, at the time was like, well, I'm young. I'm making pretty good money. Um, I don't know if I want to do this. And then I went on an interview in King of Prussia with a guy named Craig Jones, who's an incredible area kitchens operations manager with Cheesecake, still a mentor of mine, good friend. And um, the interview, the restaurant was so busy that he couldn't, they used to have these shift follows back in the day where you'd sort of go follow and trail somebody so you could see the environment and they were looking at you and you were looking at the business and you were in the sort of mix and the salad station was crashing He's and they didn't have enough staff. And he's like, you can't help. I'm like, I'm helping dude. Just show me how to do a couple of these Chinese chicken salads. <laughs> and he's like, thank you so much. And we the were, reason why you can't help is look at legality. Yeah, you know, totally. And, and, and at the end of the shift, he's like, I'm sorry, man, that was a crazy day. I'm like, dude, I love it. It's let's go. Like let's go. I know we're not supposed yeah. to do this, but let's go grab a beer. Yeah. And, uh, and he's a dear friend of mine today. And, uh, and I was like, this place is complete madness. Who would ever attempt to do something like this with a menu this size with making all the food fresh with this many staff to scale members it to, just to scale it and i was like i need to be a part of this yeah and i can't wait i mean the cheesecake factory is probably the staple the example of maintaining standards and culture at nobody i don't know of, i can't think of another concept that's been able to scale that much attention to detail Without yeah. question. We can spend as much time as yeah. you want. Yeah. And, I, and I know we're going to dive into that. Um, and I, there's just so much respect and rapport. I don't know if there's another brand out there that has as much respect and rapport as a cheesecake factory at that scale. Hey, look, I mean, I had 20 years of business school there. And yeah. with the Walt Disney of the restaurant business, it was the most humbling moment of my life. Yeah. Uh, and But the, you, you mentioned something that I want to make sure we didn't just glaze over. And that's the significance of taking a step back to go forward. And I think... When you're 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, life's relative. Two years of your life, that's a big chunk of your life, right? And you think, I've just spent two years growing to get to become like the executive chef. I don't want to go back now. But if you're, it's like standing under a, a tree with a low canopy, right? Sometimes you get a step under, you know, a few steps back to get under that red, that redwood that has a huge canopy or that, yeah. uh, you know, like you, you got to step back. You got to get underneath 
out from underneath certain things to have higher potential. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it takes a step back to make that happen. Yeah. Be willing I, look, to, to, for to, sure. To but you have to be bullish on the brand. And yeah. I think that I'll get into this later, but you need to make sure that it's work you love doing. So yeah. I, when I saw the setup there, it was work that uh, this is what I want to do. What it was, was com- it that, that you loved? Well, their commitment to excellence, yeah. obvious statement, but their standards for the food, their standards for people, the culture, obviously, which culture is king, um, how incredibly committed everybody was and how much fun everybody was having. And it's still like that today. And, um, but there was, there was also very unique, you know, I'm, I'm most interested in doing something that's untraditional and what they were doing was not traditional and, um, it was very bold. So I wanted to be a part of that. And I, and, uh, I think that's why that's what really hooked me. Yeah. Um, so much to cover. Uh, before we start diving into how you evolved, I think it's worth kind of getting into a little bit of the history of the Cheesecake Factory. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> David Overton, the founder of Cheesecake Factory, 80s, right? Early 80s? 78. 78, so late but, 70s, uh, is when Cheesecake Factory was formed. What's the what's the origin story? Yeah, is David so, still around? Yeah, David is. Yeah. He's still the chairman and CEO. I yeah. see him often. He's a great mentor, a great friend. Nice. Uh, I dropped some of some food off at one at his house last week because he gives incredible feedback for one of our projects and he's um, one of the most important people in my life. Um, his mom found a cheesecake recipe in a newspaper. They were baking in Detroit and I'll sort of make this a little bit short, but um, it was, people loved it. And then they moved out to California. David went to school in San Francisco. They were baking cheesecakes in a sort of factory out here for a bunch of restaurants. People loved it. And they were, they were at a point where they're like, how do we turn this into a real business? And so it started as a wholesale company where they're providing cheesecake to restaurants. That's right. And yeah. then, and then David, they opened up a restaurant on, in Beverly Hills. It's still there today. And I think in 1978 and they put a little card in the window that says not open until two o'clock. And there was a line around the block and it was David put some food in with his mom and to, uh, but they really would just want to f- feature the cheesecakes because they already knew the cheesecakes were a giant hit and people loved them. And they had like a salad bar and some other things, a few burgers, the original menus, quite, uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's quite cool. And, uh, and they just from that day on had lines around the block and people came for the cheesecake. But then David really figured out that he, he knew how to make food that everybody wanted to eat. And this wonderful woman named Linda Candioti that was involved, it was like so hospitable and, so full of culture and they were just all over the gas sweeping out front and they were sort of hitting on all the things that people value about the restaurant business. So at what point did the cheesecake factory start to scale? I think in, you know, you give me a little bit of a history lesson here, which I wasn't prepared for, but no, I think they, they had the first one. Um, and then the second one was like maybe four or five years later. And then they, got to uh i think they went to uh was it redondo beach marina del rey and then they won in washington dc okay and woodland hills was up there too and um but i think they went public at four com- four restaurants yeah if i if i'm sitting across the table from david right now and i'm interviewing him and i'm asking him about the evolution of the cheesecake factory key pivotal points of, of just growth and lessons learned if he was sitting here and asked him that question what would he say he would say Get better every day. Yeah. Put one foot in front of the other. Get better every day. It's the food, stupid. Uh, and don't forget that and take care of your people and make sure the people are your greatest resource. And his 
standards of service, excellence, and the treatment of his people are absolutely unparalleled. Give me an example of something that he did that is just like a perfect example of going above and beyond what's expected to do stuff for you, beyond giving them BMWs. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a million Maybe stories. Maybe a personal thing that he told Oh, there are a million, million stories and a million untold stories that people don't even know about. But look, they, the BMWs were a big deal. There were stock options for general managers. There were stock options for executive kitchen managers or the equivalent of an executive chef. There was unbelievable growth opportunities for people to grow. But in the growth, it's like one thing to get to become a general manager, but development, training, mentor programs – that just you can apply to business and life that were so well thought out. Um, the state, the quality of the people in the business. So you were just going and working next to all pro people in every position every day. Um, the push for excellence, uh, the awareness of how people are feeling, managing the gray, which I think is a lost art in the restaurant. What do you business. mean by managing? Well, the gray? It's like, very, you can't be black and white in the restaurant business. Like, uh, give me an example, like a Salt Cook has a, it's worked for you for 30 years. Who's incredible. Who's a, you know, the Michael Jordan of Salt Cooks has given you 30 years of excellence and has one bad day and maybe says something to a manager that's offensive, uh, but repairable. We would wait if that Salt Cook was like, I'm quitting or you know, we wouldn't fire him or her. We would wait if they were going to like, I'm out of here. I'm never going to, I'd be in the trunk of his car going, let's talk about this. Yeah. You're not going anywhere. This is, you've given us 30 years of excellence and yet one bad moment, let's work this out. Let's go resolve this. And we were really, really good at managing the gray because in the end, and you've, I've heard this a thousand times on your podcast, it's a people business and to be a great leader, you gotta be a great mentor, a great developer. You have to be direct. You have to be honest. You gotta be nurturing, caring. You gotta be a little bit of a therapist, but, um, our culture was, I mean, if you want to say, Eric, Don, what's one word that why the Cheesecake Factory is an evergreen company? It's the culture. Yeah. Where was the Cheesecake Factory when you joined? What was we were probably at uh, maybe 20 or so restaurants. Where are they today? They're at over 250 restaurants. Okay. And then they have restaurants in the Middle East, Latin America, and China. And then they acquired Fox Restaurant Group which is Sam Fox restaurant, yep. like flower child, North yep. Italia, incredible brands and, um, an incredible partnership. So now cheesecakes running those brands too. Yeah. So you were there, I mean, for a, a big part of their growth and you were, I'm sure you were a big part of that. Um, you, you mentioned culture is all about people or restaurants. all about people with the thing that you hear all the time on the show. It's all about people. Yeah. Everybody says this, this business comes down to people. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed that is the, the more, the bigger you get, the more you scale, the more people are involved and it's more and more relationships to manage. And sometimes if you don't put systems and processes in place to manage those relationships, the quality of relationships start to get diluted and not as impactful. Mm-hmm. How did the Cheesecake Factory overcome that from 20 locations to 200 locations? Yeah. An unbelievable commitment to culture, an unbelievable commitment to retention, an unbelievable commitment to development and training, um, world-class compensation, um, focused on quality of life. But there's, there's one thing to say all of it, but that company and the leadership there backed it up with their time, with their resources, with their money. I mean, Cheesecake Factory is the only restaurant company on the Fortune's top 100 companies to work for, I think, the past two years. And I think... I, I, 
apologize for not having the exact number of years they've been on there, but I think it's seven or eight years in a row. Yeah. Where and so a lot of that is your your staff members telling you that they love working here and they have great pride in what they're doing. They love it. In the, in the end, too, though, the thing that's most critical is that people that are in leadership positions that are leading one person or thousands of people need to be great human beings. Okay. Let's shift the focus back on you and your story. Now that we yeah. got like a little bit of a back history of the cheesecake factory. 2001 is what I saw on LinkedIn. When you joined the cheesecake factory, you join as a manager or not a manager. I joined as a kitchen manager, kitchen manager. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like? It was crazy. Day, I was one. In, day one. It was in Baltimore. I was completely overwhelmed. And, you know, I think that everybody says the, the first day of work is where you decide if you're going to your next job or not. And the restaurant was, in, I think it was 11 o'clock in the morning in Baltimore in the Inner Harbor. I'd grown up around there. And there was 85 people in line at 10.45 in the morning. I'm like, what is going That's on crazy. here? We're not giving anything away, are we? <laughs> and, um, and we just got our butts kicked. And, by the way, we got our butts kicked for 20 years that I was there. And it's not hasn't stopped it just gets busier and busier and busier and um so it was i was overwhelmed because there was so much knowledge that you had to learn and i'm a little bit of a perfectionist so there's a reason why i started as a kitchen manager and not as an executive kitchen manager because i wasn't ready to be an executive kitchen manager on day one yeah for the record Thomas Keller starts every new hire at like running food. I think is yeah. that like, is yeah, that I, the, one of my chefs who worked at cheesecake in our R and D department was a food runner at per se in New York. And now is the director of culinary for C3. And he was a, he was a chef at cheesecake too. This is a great indication of excellence. No matter who you are, I don't give an F like you start at the same place. You learn the, the operation from the ground up. Why is that so important? Well, I think it's, why do you start in kindergarten and go through college? You, you know, you, you learn everything right away. So you need, you, there's curriculum, there's time in the saddle, there's failure that you need to reapply. There's so many things to, um, a level of sort of knowledge that you need time on. But even and, as an executive chef with, maybe five or 10 years of experience as an executive chef, you're still starting at the, the, the bottom. Yeah. I wouldn't call it the bottom, but it's a, well, you're an entry level kitchen manager, but you're also walking in on day one to a menu of 250 items, yeah. over 700 prep recipes, yeah. 50 sauces that need to be made tomorrow. And, um, and those aren't coming in on a truck in the back there. You're reducing and caramelizing vegetables for the mushroom gravy. And there's a, a scoffier profile to every one of those sauces with a beginning, middle and finish. That takes years to learn. And um, so that's that's the reason why you come in. And, and that, I mean, the knowledge, I was there 20 years and I was still learning. And, and we were very, we were very focused on continuous improvement in that company as well. So we're constantly changing and tweaking things. Um, so that, that's the reason why. You, yeah. yeah. So how long did it take you? What was the, your progression? How long did it take you to, to earn the, the title uh, chief culinary office. yeah look i hope to be inspiring here and this is not for my own ego but um that back to that quote it's what puts you in the dark it's what you do in the dark puts you in the light i i became an executive kitchen manager in a year okay um and the average time was 4.1 years wow. and um but i worked i remember closing the restaurant at two and i would be studying recipes till four in the morning i'd wake up the next day and i knew that david hurley the general manager of the restaurant or Craig Jones, the executive kitchen manager of the restaurant, was doing something like a workshop on teaching the pasta station, and I was there. And um, I spent 
a lot of time working on myself, but mainly learning the playbook of the Cheesecake Factory, which was incredible. And not just in like how, how to reduce white wine for the piccata sauce, but how to treat people, the systems, the way we dealt with financials. I mean, I think there's this Wolfgang Puck quote that to be a great chef, you have to be a great manager, business person, and a great cook. Mm-hmm. That was sort of how we looked at our kitchen managers at Cheesecake Factory. So it wasn't just you had to make the mashed potatoes great. You needed to learn how to tie out labor, how to deal with conflict. I mean, there were so many other skill sets that you needed time to be a leader of one of the restaurants. So at 20 locations when when you joined, what was the infrastructure like as far as when you got hired at a kitchen manager, was there a clear path to become executive? Yeah, so there's there's a clear roadmap program that um, and it's, the names changed over time, but of these toolboxes, tool level one, level two, level three, yes. and in these tenants in these toolboxes, whether it be food quality or culinary excellence or people development or food safety or shift management, you had to demonstrate and learn and pass those levels to get level. Once you got through the levels, there was a program that they had at the time called PADC, and you would go out to California and get assessed, so you could run one of those restaurants. So you can see that why you're back to your consistency, your culture, why Cheesecake has stayed on top for so long and remains a very much a revered company because their level uh, or their amount of commitment to education, to development, to mentorship, and putting the time, money, and energy and resources to do that is it's just unparalleled. Yeah, and that's the difference between like great, like good companies and truly great companies when it comes to culture and education is like you literally have a curriculum. And like, it's like, it's like a college, you know, like you, you get, you, you get hired, you're a freshman and like here, like here are the different verticals you can come up, like whether like literally thinking about it as a school and the different job titles have different paths, or if you want to get to a specific job title, executive chef, here's the path you take, here are the courses you have to take. Here's level one, here's level two, here's level three. Yeah. And when you map that out and you provide the material and you hand that to somebody, you smack them on the ass, they get to choose how if they want it. They can, bu- they can, you know, buckle down and get through that material and they can get there in a year if they want to. Yeah, and there's some people years. that struggle with that too. It's some people that just aren't that motivated. I was very motivated. I took a pay cut. I saw the opportunity with the company that it was an incredible company, best in class, and I knew that the growth was going to be exceptional, which was very exciting. I wanted to be a part of that. I'll give you one, one, one quick story. There was David Hurley, who was a general manager, who's now an air director for them. Great guy, really good friend, and one of the most funny human beings on the planet. And I bring these names up um, because these are important people that helped grow that business that had been there for 20, 30 Same years. Again. David Hurley. But I was getting certified. We used to go across the, the street to the Radisson Hotel in the lobby, and one of the things in my toolbox was, do you know how to change out? It had a box in my quiz, the printer paper on the saute station. And so I was like, oh yeah, of course I know how to do that. I was working there all day long. He goes, okay, do you know how to do it? And, um, and another one was like, do you know how to break down the dish machine? And I'm thinking to myself, he's just going to check these things off. It's been a long day. We've been here for 14 hours. He goes, let's go across the street and show me how to change out the printer paper. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. I've been doing this my, you know, my whole yeah. life, but that's the level of detail. So I think that I, I think about this because I have three children and I apply this to business is like, I had great teachers and I had teachers that were not inspiring and that were just mailing it in. And I'm not here to, to point the finger at anybody, but the, there were so many great teachers in that business 
and so many mentors and they had so much ownership because they owned the company that he actually cared about me knowing how to change out the dish machine if the dish machine went down or how do I talk to a staff member. Like I think back to high school and my education, the people that got me fully engaged and the teachers where I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for this class to be over. Yeah. There were so many good mentors throughout that business. Um, and that's why they've been able to replicate over and over again with the complexity. I think too, it's also checklists at all levels. I think when we think of developing checklists, it's for the, like the frontline people. Here's the opening checklist. Here's a how to clean your station checklist. Here's the closing checklist. Here's the stock checklist. And we stop there, but we forget that the checklist checker needs a checklist too. And then the checklist checker checker needs a checklist. And like there's checklists for every layer. And there were, I'm sure there was checklists for training. And I'm sure all these items that he was going through, there was probably a checklist. And there was probably a standard written to what the expectation for that checklist was. So I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, not, I'm, I'm making assumptions here. But there was probably a description of does he know how to change the printer and this is the expectation of going through the step in the pro- maybe not for sure all of that like, was all of that was documented all that detail but just you know i think that the like everything there's an art and a science so you restaurant people in general managers don't love to sit down and be at computers all day they like yeah. teaching training working with the people working with the guests so the art and science of that is like great mentors when they have checklists that they have to run through are not just like rigid check that box check that box how boring is that they make it engaging learning why ask more whys around like why do we need to make sure that the front desk is ready and the place feels showtime ready like a broad time show broad time broadway show when our first guests walk in instead of just make sure the front desk is clean the lights are on the music's on it doesn't really it's not compelling i don't really not loving doing that it just feels like busy work versus okay let us tell you why all those things need to be on and why that temperature needs to be right. And when the first guest walks in, it feels like you're going into Disneyland for the first moment and everybody's greeted and everybody's smiling and there's this compelling energy. That's important. There's a really good book. And I know you always sort of ask yeah. a question about books called the checklist manifesto. Yes. Great book. And it's by Atul Gawande. He's a doctor. He actually wrote a really good article in the cheesecake factory. Um, that's worth referencing about the systems and the process of the cheesecake factory. Mm-hmm. And when the healthcare industry, um, I think he's a Harvard doctor. When the healthcare industry was going to more chains in hospitals, he told he wrote this New Yorker piece about that the hospital should study the Cheesecake Factory because of the consistency and the ability to replicate over and over again, and that how a surgeon could have not have any checklist to do a heart surgery, but the Cheesecake Factory had a checklist to check their mashed potatoes every day, and with all these notes and details about how to have the mashed potatoes be yeah. great, but a service, a surgeon's going in more nuanced and how there was a sort of middle ground. And it was an interesting article. The checklist is very powerful. Back to that book. I've read that book. The, a checklist will flatten the hierarchy too, which is really important because now it's not about what you say is right and versus what I say what's right. And when in the hospital setting where you have the surgeon in, in the past, <clears throat> in the past, what the surgeon said was what was right. You didn't challenge the surgeon. They were final and that's still, they still have final call. But at the same time, putting a checklist in place gave the nurse the opportunity to say, that's not the standard operating procedure. Now, by, by doing that, you flatten the hierarchy and you create an opportunity for anybody that knows what the standard is to maintain that standard by calling you out saying, this is the right way. Yeah. That's so powerful. Um, okay, yeah. I just have one thing. I think there's, this is really interesting for restaurant managers is that a lot of times there's feedback given, like uh, give an example of um, 
used to see this all the time where the mashed potatoes aren't right. Mm -hmm. So that was given from a senior manager down to a more junior manager or to an hourly staff member. Go fix them. And so then I would walk with that staff member that was directed to do that. And I'm like, what are you fixing? And the the staff member, the junior manager go, I have no clue. (laughs) Instead of being a manager, like in the checklist, checking the mashed potatoes at 1115 before they go to the first guest saying, here's what's wrong with these mashed potatoes. Great job today. They're hot. They're seasoned right. But you ever mix them. There's not enough like matrix of like a bumpy bite of mashed potato here and there and being very specific. There's so much in the restaurant space where there's managers that are at the top. They just go, this sucks. Go fix it. And then you just do this exercise. If you're one of these people in the restaurant, go ask that staff member, that manager, what they're fixing. And they often have no clue what you're talking about. So there's, there's two things there. One is to be very specific about being positive about what's right. And then here are the opportunities. The other thing is for that more junior person to say, I have no clue what you're talking about and have the confidence to be, I don't know. And that's like one of the things that I've sort of is in the fabric of everything. When I'm out working in restaurants with any of our projects or my previous career today, I don't care if you say you don't know, I'm, you know, cause everybody wants to impress some of the people that are sort of more senior in the company. Let's just start from, I don't know is a great answer. And let's just take, take this opportunity to learn as much as we possibly can today so we can make the business better and make you feel more comfortable in your skin. And I think that's a sort of just a quick story, I think, where the restaurant industry can grow a little bit. Absolutely, man. Uh, ego, right? I think there's a lot of ego in this industry. Yeah. Check your ego at the door. I don't like it's look to grow every day. Mm-hmm. Be willing, be able to say, I don't know, you know, and that's an okay thing. I can just reinforce that. But back to your story, your evolution within the Cheesecake Factory, 2001, you joined. <clears throat> By 2002 or 2003, approximately, you're the executive kitchen manager. Uh, and just real quick, let's like, I like to use the analogy, get in the airplane, let's zoom up to 30,000 feet. Give us a big picture, the path of how, how you got to your, your ending title of chief culinary officer and executive vice president of kitchen operations. You got it. So, um, it was a fast, humbling journey with a lot of great mentorship. I, uh, I, I got moved to Edison, New Jersey to be the executive kitchen manager. Thank God I got to move there because uh, I met my wife there, who I love and have three kids now. So that's awesome. I'm glad that stopped. So I'm very grateful to Cheesecake for that. Um, I was there for roughly a year, and I got a call. They, they did my evaluation. And um, the vice president, Kix Nystrom, who's one of the smartest guy in the restaurant industry, he's still there today, senior vice president of kitchen ops for Cheesecake, just sort of like an Alton Brown mad scientist. Um, he was a, happened to be in town that day, and they were giving my annual re- uh, evaluation. They wrote me this terrible review. Uh, they were like, your leadership, uh, you have the presence of a falling leaf. And they just, in every category, they just destroyed me. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, I thought I was, like, killing it. I mean, like, I had an inspection that morning. They couldn't find a piece of sand in my kitchen. It was it was hospital clean. And uh, the food was great. And I was like, man, I am, I am, I, I am definitely an, an imposter. <laughs> and um, I just great menu rollout. And the food was great. And so they just destroyed me in this evaluation. And then at the end of the evaluation, they said, you're getting promoted. And, um, and we had a great laugh and it was very sweet and very thoughtful. And I'm glad they made it fun because this business is tough. And, um, so I, I moved to San Francisco and I was the, uh, after a year of the job, um, I was the area kitchen operation manager of San Francisco. So that was like San Francisco up to Seattle and out to Hawaii. And, uh, uh that position in that company is usually, 
you're sort of in charge of the kitchen, reporting into an area director, uh, and you're somewhere in the 80 to $100 million worth of business in the kitchens. And, um, and I was responsible for those restaurants and the leadership team of those restaurants in the kitchen focused on people development, food quality, training, food safety. And I did that job for, I think, uh, a year and a half. And then Mark Pratt, who was one of my mentors, who was executive vice president of kitchen operations at the time, called me and he was the ultimate standard bear. He said, I want you to be the director of kitchen operations. For that like, same region? For the whole country. The whole country. Yeah. And um, that was very humbling because it was a best-in-class company. So before you were reporting as the kitchen area man operator, you were reporting to the director of... At, so I uh, went from kitchen manager to executive kitchen manager of Edison. Okay. And then I got promoted to an area kitchen operation manager of San Francisco, Seattle, and Hawaii. Got it. And then um, reporting to an area director there with that job. And then... At that point, I got offered the director of kitchen operations for the whole company and to move to Los Angeles where the corporate office was. What year was that? That was in 2005. Okay. Wow. Okay. So Yeah. So I, I worked really hard and somebody saw something in me. About a year at each position, yeah, essentially. Yeah. That's and I was, I was, I would like to say I was very dug in. Yeah. And very committed. And my eyes were wide open on the amazing things that were happening. Paint the, the picture company. of what dug in looks like, really, though. I was, I, you know, like I think they say, and this is like a Harvard business study thing if you're committed to your job you give 75 percent of your full potential if you're engaged in your job which is where you want people you give 85 percent of your full potential if you're highly engaged you give 110 percent. so i left it out there all every day is were you struggling in other areas of your life at 110 percent? no i was i the, the i was so committed to the thing i was a single guy living in san francisco living in i thought you had a girlfriend well and as she we were long distance okay. so i had more time to work <laughs> than people do um and i i wanted to impact the company okay and i loved the founder and i loved the leadership and the people i looked up to and i was very um you know, loyal. I'm not into loyal. I'm into the best and brightest. Like I'm into the, I'm working around people that are the best and the brightest of what they do. And what an incredible opportunity. And we were growing like crazy and I wanted to be a part of that. So I, I put in the time mentally, physically, everything to grow myself so I could impact the business and those people that worked for me. At 110% of your yourself that you were giving, what was the company giving back to you? Everything. What's everything? Well, in compensation, in recognition. How would they recognize it? Whether it's a call from the founder of the company or the president or the CFO or sitting you down and being specific around the way you're contributing to the business, um, pay, I mean, schedule, making sure that I'm taking time off. They were, they were checking all the boxes of how you wanted to be treated as a leader in a business. So from these and, de- and, 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 and development, I wanted to keep learning and keep growing. Okay. You, you perfect segue. Cause I was just going to ask you, how were you evolving personally during this time? Well, I had access to the leadership. That was great. I was getting, we had these unbelievable general manager conferences that our presidents would put on that had killer outside speakers and great workshops. I was, um, empowered to go learn and to get more experiences, uh, and you name it. I mean, I could work on the business, work on myself, and then people were paying attention to it. And in that company, if you were making a, uh, an impact on the company, um, you were recognized for it. Yeah. Um, so what skills did you have to develop at these different? So you're the area director, the, the director for the whole company. At each level, how did you have to evolve? Yeah, I think um, I think it, as an area director, Kitchen operations manager, you needed to be, you know, the multi leadership, 
multi-unit leadership book that is incredible about multi-leader. How, wait, say that one more time. I have to look the book up. I forgot the name exactly, but it's a, it's a multi-unit leadership book. It's an incredible book. We'll find it and you can drop it in somewhere. It's a, it's a, so it's a book specifically on multi-unit it, operations. Exactly. Physical. Exactly. And it's the best how to guide to be successful in there. Um, you know, you had to go from running one restaurant to nine restaurants and having nine teams underneath you. Uh, there was a lot of, but we had great development, great mentorship, and the training for that was incredible. The multi-unit, the multi-unit leadership book by the seven stages building. Is this something I want? To, Jim Sullivan. Yep, that's it. That's the one. Okay, I just want to make sure it's we a, have the best book out there for. He for, he's uh, sorry, I cut you short. Yeah, go go for what were you gonna say? No, it's the best book out there for people that are running areas. And um, Jim Sullivan, that name sounds super familiar. He's written a bunch of restaurant books. Yeah, and he's often in Nation's Restaurant News yeah. like with sections. About I got to reach back out to him. I think I reached out to him when I was still – I mean, I still feel like I'm wet behind the years. I always feel like I'm – but like when I was first getting started with the podcast, he was on my list, and I kind of got crickets when I reached yeah. But yeah, maybe I have another better shot now. Yeah. Who knows? I'll, I'll try getting him back on the show. That would be a great book to dive into, though, as a, it's an as awesome a, as a workshop. Um, okay, so – Anything else around that idea of how you evolve personally in each one of these roles? Well, I think as you grow and you get into bigger positions, um, the responsibility is like a snowball rolling downhill and picking up momentum. So there's a lot more pressure. Um, we've got to prioritize cause there's just really the restaurant industry is fires every day. Um, I had really good mentorship at one point and, um, somebody said to me, you know, you're trying to, you're such a perfectionist. You're trying to control everything every day. And you sort of look defeated when things aren't going well. And it really wears on you because you care so much. And he said, that's great. And I love your level of ownership, but shit's going to happen every day. So just learn to wake up in the morning and go, this is the restaurant business. And it's going to be hard every day. And yeah. most of your days are going to be all problems. <laughs> and when you can get to a point where you can accept that, you'll be living a little bit lighter. Yep. And that was a great moment for me. Said Moses, just had him on the show, uh, the chief vision officer for um, Pouring With Heart, has a tattoo on his arm that says, well, fuck. Uh, and it's to remind him to fail forward, that you're always going to fail and it's okay. And that, well, it's like this now. It's that Buddha mentality of like, this is what it's like. I can't change what happened, but I can change where we go from here. Yeah, I would say a lesson of evolution, if you're asking that, from my own personal development was... Um, that look for thematic problems. It's very easy to care about everything and get sort of ping ponged all over the place and working in a founder driven business. That's, that's a very common thing. Um, but have the discipline to look at data, have the discipline to make sure it's happening a lot. It's very easy to just have one thing happen and to go into a complete spin and go out of control and, um, and not focus on things that really matter. So I, I look for themes more than getting, um, sort of jerked around by the business. And I, that's one of the things I spend a lot of time mentoring people on right now. Yeah. How long were you the director for the whole company? I think I was there for two or three years and I became the vice president of kitchen operations. Um, and then I became the senior vice president of kitchen operations shortly after that. And I think in 2008 or 2010, I became the EVP of kitchen operations and chief culinary officer, which was an honor. I remember being pulled into the office by David Overton and David Gordon, um, the 
current CEO and current president and David founded the company and David Gordon has been a president. It's been there over 30 years and you're, um, you know, you're looking at two of the best in the restaurant industry that have ever existed that are incredible human beings, fathers, restaurant executives, and they promoted me. That position was a sort of lollipop moment for me in life. What were your responsibility? I mean, I think it's like most people have no clue what the difference between a director, a VP, a P, a chief culinary. Like, what are the different responsibilities? Yeah, I think a director was I was very tactical for what the company needed on initiatives and making sure the kitchens were designed great and the growth was going great, development programs for the leadership and a lot of like strategic initiatives. When you get into a VP, you're doing that and more and you're setting a lot of direction of the business when you get into it. Maybe directing, working directly with the directors? Yeah, for sure. Okay. And, and working with the executive team. When you get to a senior vice president, you're managing other vice presidents, other directors. You're setting the vision for your department in partnership with the executive team. Um, but in the end, you know, People, profit, and ops excellence. If you have an operational title, those are that those are the three pillars that that in that business that you focused on. Great people, great profit, and great ops excellence. So, what is it about the Cheesecake Factory that has enabled them to maintain this level of standard, this level of excellence, and not sacrifice? people or excellence for profit well i mean the obvious answer is david overton wait those three legs again were people People, profit profit, and and operational excellence operational excellence i feel like operational excellence and people take a hit yeah so let me unpack that a little bit but uh i the answer is david overton this is his unwillingness and relentless pursuit of excellence and so that's a pretty broad statement so then he's not doing it alone He's got a great president in David Gordon, a great CFO in Matt Clark, a great SVP of Ops in Spiro Alex, a great kitchen team in Kicks, Jay and Vinny, and Chef Bob and Dina. You can go across the leadership team and all of them understanding David's vision, but then offering their own style to the business and their own leadership to the business. And our retention was unbelievable. I mean, you're talking, I would travel the country and go to Buckhead, Atlanta, and there'd be a 30-year cook. And I'd go out to... Birmingham, Alabama, there'd be a 20 year staff member. I mean, you're the average tenure of a executive kitchen manager, cheesecakes over 10 years, That's crazy. a general manager over, I think I, I mean, some of these numbers were when I was there was over 11 years, an area director or an area kitchen operations manager around 20 years, the president of the company, 30 years, the SVP of ops, 30 years. So there's a lot of knowledge, care, commitment ownership in the business and then so you have all the history of all of that and and all these amazing people that know the business like the back of their hand but then this mindset of refining everything they do to exhaustion and the best comparison i can give you there is the iphone it's like the iphone's great but you get these updates and it knows where your car is parked and it keeps making it better the genius of apple is they keep refining their current products to exhaustion yeah Cheesecake does the exact same thing. They just don't tell everybody. Yeah. So there's this format, this formula for meetings uh, that is, what did we do last week? Can we do have done it better? What are we doing this week? And it's that, always that like, here's what we did. Here's what we're going to do differently. Here's our plan. Let's do it. Come back. Did it happen? Did it not happen? And like, that, and making time for that. Like, how did that go? What could we do better? And like, is that worked into process at Cheesecake Factory? Like, was it evident that there was constantly intentionality around 
how can we do it better? Oh, and where did sure. that, where did that come up? Well, can't, I mean, in everything we do, we challenge everything to be better. The challenge, but how did you bake that into the culture to was, make sure it happened? It, it starts at the top with the people that are leading the company, um, that are empowered and intelligent and want to keep making the business better. It's understanding your guests. It's understanding your staff member and what they love about your business. Um, you know, I think Mario said this on the podcast that he was on with you, but it blows my mind that you listen to the show and that you can quote things from my episodes. It's just, I'm a little like beside myself. You do a great job. I'm honored to be here. The, the, we in the, in the R and D part. So I, you know, I obviously worked on the menu with David and chef Bob and, um, and then the design of the food so we could replicate over and over again. Um, we would, we, we had two menu changes a year. We would take 10 things off, add 10 things. Um, but we probably had 300 changes a year to existing menu items. So if you've been going to cheesecake, we can get in a jambalaya or an avocado egg roll or a chicken Madeira and you love it. We've changed that dish 15 times over the past 10 years. I'm saying we, like I still work there because I still am such a brand ambassador yeah. for the company, but that's the genius in the business is like this just mindset of it's never good enough. So and, what, how do you find that balance between consistency and improving? Well, I, I, I make sure I understand the question. So a big part of being able to scale to like 200 plus locations with one brand is if I go to this cheesecake factory, now in 10 years, I'm going to yeah. go back to her or I'm going to go on the other side of the country and it's going to be the same. How do you find that balance of maintaining consistency, maintaining consistency so your consumer knows what they're going to get? No matter yeah. Well, what. so in any of our projects now or my previous career, we weren't putting anything on the menu unless it was absolutely delicious. Okay. We stress test items like crazy. How does it travel? Let's eat it 10 minutes later. Let's have an average cook make the food, saute the mushrooms. Like we had, from a design and engineering standpoint, we were very sophisticated. And, um, and that allowed you to scale. But then you needed to have unbelievable commitment to training, to bringing the area people out to learn the food, to taking them to school on that food for three days with seminars and rotations to make sure you knew the new dish and then that training sort of cascaded all the way down yeah. to the person that's doing the work so from a from a complexity standpoint any great chef i've ever brought into the cheesecake factory and you know all their names they're like you guys are crazy this is insane why would you ever try to do that and for david that was the exact moat that he wanted to hear the obstacle is yeah the there's way. a great fortune video or video of him back in the day where it said um you know, everybody told me I was doing everything wrong. Menu's too big, portions are too big, restaurants too big. Then he knew exactly that's what he wanted to be working on, and that that's a kind of like bold leader that I wanted to be a part of, and a company that I wanted to work with. And um, so, you know, if you has it's the culture, it's the retention, it's great design and engineering of products under the environment that they live in, not just in a perfect sterile environment. And then it's exceptional recognition, pride when that's being delivered over and over again. And, and this relentless commitment to the gold standard. Yeah. So what the, the, the standard uh, the question around standardization that I was asking was, I guess to distill the question is consistency over time as important as consistency in this moment in time across all locations. And I would say the latter is more important as long as you're changing in a way that's improving constantly. And as long as that change is being implemented simultaneously across the, for sure, the for sure. So you yeah. can change things if, as long as it's in the right direction. But when you make that change, it has to be consistent across the board. Um, 
Does that make more sense? Yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense. So I guess that was my curiosity is how do you change? But another curiosity I have in, in studying business and seeing companies scale and get big really fast, I always tend to lose some of that mojo. Cheesecake Factory factory kind of being an exception to that. Um, I, I get curious. I wonder sometimes if, if scale stifles some human elements like creativity. Um, and if that, do you, do you think that's the case? And what did Cheesecake Factory do to acknowledge that and to keep its people being creative, having creative yeah. outlets. This is the hard part about the restaurant business. I say this all the time is, um, in life, if you get older, you should have more wisdom. So you should be able to apply that wisdom to make better decisions and to be more successful. The restaurant industry is sort of the opposite of that. So if you study the segments that have been able to scale with excellence, that's the fast food industry. And, you know, people can say whatever they want about fast food. I admire so many of those companies. And what they've done is great design. So I think a formula that the best companies do, whether they're in any space, is you focus on culture, you focus on excellence, sort of the obvious stuff. Retention of great people, training, blah, blah, blah. But there's also got to be a blend of really smart data and gut blended together to make good decisions for the business, good research, and then really looking at equipment and ways to design kitchens, and I'm talking mainly in the food space, to be able to replicate and have really smart people. So we had a team at Cheesecake that was purely working on creating new dishes, and then we had a team that worked for me that was completely focused on making everything we did better and scalable and faster and easier for a staff member to replicate so that the guests could have a good experience. Yeah. And and that is, that, that was a, that's a big deal in that business. Yeah. So... Having two segments, one is the creative side, the innovative side. The other side is still innovation, but how can we streamline this? How can we make it better, even more tasty? Two separate departments. For sure. Um, what about you? Because you were a chef, and you slowly started. You are a chef, I should say. You, as you're taking these different roles, I'm sure you're moving yourself out of the kitchen more. Was that hard for you? Um, I would say no. I, I'm sort of obsessed with like design. Okay. And scalability and less but better and um, and finding a way. I like the challenge of um, working with the executive team and trying to grow across the globe and going to Dubai and going to Beijing and then being in Guadalajara and saying having those you know, countries say you can't have this food here and then trying to solve those problems. I just really love that. And um, so... I love when somebody tells me you can't do something. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually like my favorite thing in life. And then I, I'll show you. Yeah. And then I'm sort of like, <laughs> then I know I'm fishing in the right pond yeah. because that's exactly what I want to be working on. So I think that that part of like the creative part, I had a say in the creative process there, of what we put on the menu and what we were serving our guests and how we were improving things and how we were making our sourdough better and all those little things. So I was satiated there. And then the, 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 the sort of, methodology to how to scale that all over the world. It was like, it was an incredible opportunity to try to figure that out with the people in that company. When you're looking at data, what, and you're looking for improvements and you're trying to make data driven improvements, what data do you look for? Well, it depends on what you're looking at. I mean, it could be guest feedback. It could be the speed of which things take. We didn't, we were obsessed with not wasting food in that company. It's a very sustainable company. In fact, one of the most sustainable, ambitious, sustainable sourcing policies in the country. So is it sustainable 
as far as not wasting food when it goes out, but what about the consumer and wasting food, not finishing? Yeah, that's, that's why you see those t- takeout bags walking down the streets <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Um, but I think we had data for everything. Yeah. Um, where we didn't, where we had less data was in, in like David really set the vision for the food. And we were part of that team that did that. But not, you know, it's one of the very few restaurant companies in the world not using focus groups to make decisions on what goes on the menu and that. And that still remains the same today. Yeah. Anything we haven't discussed in regard to the Cheesecake Factory, things they do really well, lessons learned, your evolution that we should talk about before moving on to why you left? No, I think the, that um, I think we've covered it. I think it's an it was an incredible place to work, and I feel very blessed that I was able to work there for 20 years. Yeah. The people there are incredible. I would say that for your listeners, if they want to take a nugget away from the conversation, just focus on your culture. Yeah. And the treatment of your people and the opportunity to grow and treating people like they're they are part of your business and not just showing up every day. That company um, has the best people in the world and in the restaurant space and they've stayed there. So people, you know, David Chang said this years ago on he was asked in Bon Appetit, they asked all these great chefs, what um, what's the most influential restaurant in America and, um, and David Shang said the cheesecake factory, cause they make more people happy than anybody. And I, and I, and I sort of unpack that as not only the hundred million people they feed a year, but the people that work there mm-hmm. and, and like any business, it's not perfect. Um, it's a hard, hard business, but when you can focus on people first and culture and giving people an opportunity to grow professionally and personally, you got a good opportunity to succeed. Yeah. What's one element of the culture that of the cheesecake factory's culture that we haven't um, unpackaged something that the cheesecake factory does that we can replicate to take us all to the next level. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, cause there's so many things I think that give me a couple, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Um, you know, all these companies have these slogans on the side of their tractor trailers when they're driving down the highways and quality are our best. And, and every company has a sort of a mission, vision, values. And they say people are our greatest resource or um, to be service-minded. And that company, those values are alive. Like, I've seen companies that have the coolest values. They're hip, they're slick, and they don't demonstrate any of those behaviors and they don't lead that way and um the values of that company are alive and well and um if there's one nugget it's like when you're working on the values of your business and why you exist and the purpose um you need to make sure you're living them and that seems so obvious but it's that, that that's the strength of that business is those words and those values are incredible. What did the cheesecake factory do to make sure their people were living the values? Um, recognition, reward, pride, education on the values, development, mentorship, all the sort of obvious stuff. I mean, you know, I can give you something if you're looking for something so slick, I have another uh, it, the good old fashioned way of like treating people right. And, good development and good mentorship and fun and opportunities to grow sort of what it, what works in this business. What are the systems and the routines that the cheesecake factory built in baked in to make sure that there's constant recognition? Were there things oh, that would trigger you to, to, to remind you 
to recognize people? Oh, all kinds of things. What kind it's, of things? It could be staff alignments, daily alignments. What's a staff alignment? Like, what's a daily a, alignment? like a pre-shift in the old restaurant space where you get together in the morning with the staff and tell them what's going on. You celebrate somebody's birthday or celebrate how somebody impacted the business or read a great guest comment. I mean, there's the thing is, is like all you have to do is just open your eyes and walk around yeah. and actually be paying attention to the work that people are doing and having enough energy to recognize people because if you just go into any restaurant today watch the staff members like spend the time being authentic you know i I, uh i used to teach this all the time and i still do it today is like you did a great job today eric on this podcast thank you well you don't even know what i mean i feel recognized you have no clue what i mean instead of eric you're you made me feel so comfortable the questions are so insightful they're so interesting like being specific around the recognition is a lost art Mm -hmm. like to the server today, I just saw the way you made that kid feel. You lit up their day like a Christmas tree. And the fact that you dove on the floor for the napkin and walked a guest to the bathroom, the way that 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 is changing the way our business operates. And you're making this such a different place than any other restaurant. I cannot tell you how impactful that is to our results of this business. Like that's like, instead of thank you, good job. Mm-hmm. You know, people say to me, great job. Then I'm like, I have no clue what I did. You, you're not telling me anything mm-hmm. it means nothing to me when you say great job, like be specific and make it really relevant to what they're doing. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Um, 2020, what I mean, obvious things happened in 2020, but what happened with you specifically that made you want to move on from the Cheesecake Factory? Yeah, I think that um, I didn't want to leave the Cheesecake Factory. I love that job. It was a forever job for me. But I, I watched this Warren Buffett documentary that said you should be spending 100% of your free time um, trying to get to what you want to do with 100% of your life. And um, And then the second part of it was why do you only have 23 people in your corporation and you're worth $500 billion, Warren Buffett? And he goes, I only want to go to work with people I love every day. Mm -hmm. And I could still check that box at Cheesecake Factory. But I was, you know, we got really big and um, and the company's great and I'm still exceptionally tight with everybody. But I I lost my father at a very early age and so I sort of over-index on, I think, trying to be a good dad. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that my kids saw me do something differently different for myself and showing them you could work in an amazing best in class big company and you could run your own business and I wanted to make sure that I was known as being a, a, a very solid restaurant exec I wanted to shift that to be known as being a very solid dad in the community and a good business person um, so those were sort of what was swirling in my head a little bit and over the years I had met Mario Del Perro the founder of Mendocino Farms, a great restaurant company, best in class, and Los Angeles and his wife, Ellen Chen, and we got quite close. And I thought, after spending more time with him, I thought he was sort of like this Willy Wonka of like just such a genius. And talk about a guy that goes into the dark to create stuff. I mean, he was, a, he was an unbelievable thinker and a visionary in the food space. So I had this amazing opportunity with David to work for like a Walt Disney. But um, And Mario had said, look, I'm creating this partnership with, um, two other guys. So I, I considered it. I wanted to get cheesecake through the pandemic and I had a rough conversation with David Overton, who was my mentor and like a father. And I said, I need to go do this for myself. Well, you said spend a hundred percent of the, your own time, your personal time working on what you want to do a hundred percent of the time. Correct. What was the, the thing you wanted to do a hundred percent of the time? Yeah. I think first and foremost, be a great dad okay. and a great husband. Got it. And I think second was the purpose of the Dom food group is, um, 
better food, best people. I had some ideas in the food space and about how we could change the space, whether it be for the people or for the consumer. There's a question for that. Yeah. And, um, and I wanted to work on them immediately. Okay. Um, so back to this, um, side note, if you guys are interested in the episode with Mario Del Perro, had him twice on the show, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 414 or slash 700, two episodes. Uh, great. Both great interviews. Uh, so he reaches out to you. There's, he's trying to put together a new team. Take it from there. Yeah. So we had a couple meetings and the team seemed like the dream team. So I'm here. I am coming from an all pro team with the best in class executives in the cheesecake factory and a job I absolutely loved and was quite proud of and, and was doing everything I wanted to do and had autonomy and was not frustrated at my job. But we thought, interesting, we could do some really cool things at Dom Food Group. So basically, Dom Food Group is a venture-based studio where we invest, incubate, operate, um, consult, create scalable food businesses for the future. Um, there's four partners, um, myself with my background at the Cheesecake Factory, Mario Del Perro, who is the founder of Mendocino Farms, um, Nathan Tan, who led advertising, branding, strategy, marketing, and digital for Mercedes and Cadillac. And fourth partner is Tony Owen, incredible human being, just like Nathan, um, that his great grandparents and grandparents had a grocery store chain in Chicago called Dominic's, which is this community based, like unbelievable reputation, completely soulful, um, grocery store that scaled and got acquired by one of the big grocers. So the four of us are exceptionally diverse. We have our own unicorn strengths, as we say, and then we have things that we're greatly flawed in, but together we make a really good team. Um, What's your lane within this? this yeah, I would say, uh, you know, talent operations, culinary, anything kitchen food related, you know, culture for sure. Um, but we all have our lanes that we sit in and we're in some really interesting projects and, um, I think we want to create a place where we hire unicorns. We sort of joke internally that this is the unicorn ranch where we bring people in here that are incredibly gifted and intelligent and committed to changing the game in the food space. Um, and then the projects we work on are really, really fascinating and interesting and, and compelling for a consumer. What kind of projects excite you? Yeah. So I think I really want to focus on something in the health and wellness um, I definitely want to have something we, we want to have something that's sort of in the helping moms and families out at nighttime and dads at home. Um, we're into a bunch of things. So, and then I think our, we're very fascinated by the virtual kitchen and ghost kitchen space. Um, we see an unbelievable market opportunity there to do it better and, and the grocery store space. So most of our projects have a consumer packaged good component to them. Okay. Um, we're, so, I mean, we're at the point of the conversation where we talk about where we are in the world as far as restaurants go and where we're headed. Uh, like when, when I, when I say that, what immediately starts going through your mind? Well, it's been a rough couple of years to say the yeah. least. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of all the restaurant tours out there that, that fall through and, and in, in particular, the hourly staff members in all these restaurants that, the leadership is just relies on so much. And, um, and I'm, I'm also proud of people that found a different path outside of the pandemic that maybe want to be a parent or saw their kids more and like that and have shifted industries. I think people life is short and people should ultimately do what makes them happy and fills them up. Um, so it's been a really interesting time. I think that I don't really get nervous about the health of the restaurant industry. It's shifting. 
but I always sort of fall back on that you have to eat every day. And um, so those that do a good job with the food and the service will exist and really focus on really good design. So um, I have great comfort in that. And I think um, while the last few years have been hard, I think we'll be fine in the future and it's just going to be a little bit bumpy getting there. But I think a lot, a lot's happened. So um, I think we are really interested in making things delicious and fun and really studying the genre that we're going into and trying to be very disruptive in a positive way there. Yeah. So just like generally speaking, this, the landscape that we exist in today, um, this idea that, um, my mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. You've already inspired us with your story. You've empowered us with your knowledge, but let's focus on this idea of transformation. Where are we today and where do we need to be for a better community? We've made a lot of progress in the past couple of years. We're moving in the right direction, but at this moment of time, where do we still need to do work? What's the issue? Yeah, so look, what's look, the look, I could spend a day telling you about how I feel about the industry. Well, look, the, 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 there's no day. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I've heard. Uh, I've heard on all your podcasts about labor. Mm-hmm. That so there's an unbelievable. They promised robots at the 1960s World Fair to cook in kitchens. We're still not there yet. You know, whatever. 60 years later, I mean, the technology's there. It's yeah, a matter of yeah, adopt, it's coming. Adopt, so I think we're closer than we've ever been. So. I think first and foremost, and one of our values at Dom Food Group is like success is not a zero sum game. We don't believe that you have to struggle mentally, not see your family to work in the food space. Like we want to have projects that are healthy, our people feel healthy and have a good quality of life. So I think that movement in the restaurant space in a lot of restaurant companies right now, it's still not happening fast enough, yeah. but there's a big focus on quality of life. So what, what has to happen for that, for us to achieve that? That's a great question. You know, it could be robotics, automation, which loses jobs. I don't have the answers, yeah. but I think you find the answers by brainstorming what could possibly be the yeah, answer. Yeah. And our projects, I think we're focused very much on making sure people have a quality of life. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's a positive. There's three things that you should, in the restaurant space is sort of I, when I think about all of our projects, you should wake up feeling inspired on the project you're working on. When you get to work, you should feel safe and they should go home feeling fulfilled. And so how do we sort of think about those three buckets and you're not looking over your shoulder at work going, am I going to make it here? And you know, you love what you're doing and you go home feeling rewarded and like I'm on to something and it was worth all the hard work. Um, we're trying to create those values in our projects and creating unbelievable opportunities to grow that if you're going to grind because this business is tough, that there'll be something for you and pride and wealth at the end of it and giving people opportunities to be that involved in the projects. It almost feels like sometimes too, like this is a hard industry, you know, don't get me wrong, but there's, I think that there's almost a, this sense of, I don't even know where I'm going with this, honestly, like this false reality that work is bad. Like hard work is bad, that life should be easy with no challenges. And I think there's, I think there's also that that sense of truth too. That like pushing yourself to do the hard thing is in itself rewarding. Um, and I think there's this false perception of what life should be or could be because of what's happening in all the. I guess where I'm going with this is like we see other people projecting this image of what their life is like, and we compare ourselves. Like you have it so much easier. I have to do all this stuff. Do you mean social media? Social media <laughs> and just media in general, uh, mainstream media projecting an image of what sitcoms project, projecting an image of what life is. You watch Jerry Springer. He hangs out with his friends. Not Jerry Springer. What am I saying? Seinfeld. Jesus Christ. You watch Seinfeld and it's just this dude hanging out in, in the city with his buddies and then their life looks great, right? Just media in general. I think there's a false separation 
sense of reality of what, or a false sense of expectation that we, that the world projects. Is there, do you think that is part of it? Like, I, know, I mean, that's pretty deep for a guy that made mashed potatoes his whole <laughs> life. But uh, I think, yeah, for sure. Look, I, I see the, the pressure of everybody trying to compete with everybody yeah. and keep up with everybody. And my own opinion of that is that's difficult. And mm-hmm. There's a, a lot to unpack there. Um, I really focus on what we can control, which mm-hmm. is in our projects, creating a great place to work where people feel valued. Um, their quality of life is respected they're getting tons of development where we bring in things like that and, and trying to, you know, create these pockets of brightness in their life. And, um, so, and I think, you know, we, at every level of every one of our projects, we're really focused on the health of our staff members. So what changes are happening in the industry to make that, that pivot and the focus on the health of your staff members happen? Well, it can be the simplest stuff is scheduling. It can be celebrating their birthdays with a birthday cake. It could be giving them a little bit more time off than they've had historically. When they have time off, making sure that they have the time off and you're not bothering them or you don't send them to their weekend away for their daughter's wedding with a bad email on the Friday night and you just deal with that bad email yourself um, so they can go in with a positive mindset. Um, I mean, there's a million tricks and tactics, but honestly, it comes down to decency and some self-awareness. Um, but there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things out there. People are testing all kinds of things to try to improve the industry, which is really great. Yeah. Uh, as far as being an investor, capital investor, what do you look for when people are pitching you? Yeah, I think we're, uh, number one, you're investing in the founder of the business and somebody that's gritty, resilient. They have a project, a product that's different, differentiated, that they're, and one of the big red flags for us is if somebody comes here and they think they have it all figured out mm. and they're like, yep, this is the program. I got all these cool advisors and we've already got a chief beer officer at our corporate office and I'm not looking for any mentorship. We're like, we're out. It was a really nice meeting. You know, if we can be a, any, if any helped you in the future to grow, we do that. We're looking for people that are seeking mentorship and that really are going out and looking for more conversations to be able to shape their business. But, and we want products that are, one we want to consume first and foremost, and that we think will show up on a grocery store or in a restaurant. So we're currently, some of our projects are now, we're in a joint venture with Gwyneth Paltrow and her brand Goop for Goop Food Group, which is a health and wellness brand. And she has three New York Times selling cookbooks. She's an incredible partner with an incredible palate and so intelligent and so insightful and so thoughtful with everything she does. And we have two virtual kitchens, one in Santa Monica and Studio City. They're doing exceptionally well. We're very humbled by the results and working on some consumer package goods for the Goop Food Group as well. We have another project with Chrissy Teigen, her brand Cravings, and John Legend to do consumer package goods. So where the Goop Food Group is really focused on health and wellness, we're cooking without gluten, refined sugars, preservatives, caffeine, alcohol, very little use of dairy. It's very clean eating and showing people that you can eat clean and really help impact your health. Um, what, the one with cravings is more focused on helping families out yeah. and, and she's in her cookbooks are incredible. How important is social currency to you when you're looking at people as far as their following their, their social? Well, I think, um, I mean, I think we, there's a lot of opportunities to go do projects with people that have 50 million followers. 
that don't have a food perspective or don't want to change the world or aren't soulful. I'm not trying to be negative about it. And the people that we partner with want to change the world mm-hmm. in the food space. So with Gwyneth Paltrow, she has three New York Times bestselling cookbooks. Yeah. With Chrissy Teigen, the same thing. Obviously, they have massive following, yeah. which gets you trial. But we're more interested in the partnership of somebody that wants to make people healthier and show that you can actually consume clean food and enjoy it versus yeah. like a lot of times you eat healthier food and you're like, I'm trading out. This is just an eat to survive meal versus an enjoyable meal. We think you can actually eat healthy food and enjoy it. The reason why I asked that question is because you've seen a lot of ghost kitchen concepts really lean into social status, finding celebrities to create food brands around specifically because they want the influence to promote the brand. Right. And I wonder like, like we, we, this isn't a bash on you, but it's just to add to the conversation. Um, just thinking of, uh, Paltrow, I don't know why I can't say her first name. Say her first name, Gwyneth. Gwyneth Paltrow, like such a a name everybody recognizes, right? Um, And we're looking to these social platforms, these these social assets, to to just leverage personal brands and to like use those brands to create like a a one off like ghost kitchen. What are your thoughts on just that happening? Yeah, look, like, I, 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 one thing you'll never get out of me is bad mouthing anybody in the well, restaurant. Well, I'm not trying yeah. to bad mouth, yeah, no, but no, just like no, generally no, speaking, no, I, I, I know what your are we like. collectively doing where social status, social media status is more important than the person who's in my community across yeah. the table? Got it. I think it's a great question yeah. and a fair one. I think that my response to the question is um, – that there are those brands that, that I'm wishing everybody success that opens. A, a, I don't have any of the answers. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking to explore. No, I, I see them and we, yeah. we've obviously researched them and yeah. we know what's going on there. The, the, um, anybody that opens a restaurant up, I wish nothing but the best success. Yeah. But when you have somebody like Gwyneth Paltrow that has the, the her brand goop started, I'm sure she's a great lady. Yeah, I've she, never well, met her. <laughs> her brand started off a food blog basically. Yeah. And, um, and she wanted some professional partners to help her grow her vision for the food business. So, it's a little bit different than maybe like uh, somebody that gives away cash and is going to open up 600 burger and joints. I'm not saying you're an example of that, but it yeah. just sparked what other things are no, happening. No, it's, it's, it's happening out there and yeah. there's a significant amount of failure. We're quite different. So yeah. if you look at maybe the places that are opening 50 burger chains with some influencer, our team for Goop is led by Robert Faulkner, who's the vice president of operations. He was 20 years at Cheesecake Factory. You have a director of kitchen operations that was 20 years at the Cheesecake Factory. Our chef for Goop Food Group, Kim Floresca, was at French Laundry, El Bulli, and Meadowood. And she's the chef for Goop Food Group. Our her chef, Brent Perina, was with me at Cheesecake and was at Sweet Green and every table and worked with Jose Andrea. So I think that you can see our level of commitment that we're not just trying to pop up some celebrity restaurant um, who has a great brand already. We're trying to show Americans that you yeah. can eat healthy food and enjoy it. I hope you didn't think that's what I thought. No, no, no. <laughs> but I know. But I think that perception's out there. It's happening out there. And, and, and I guess what I'm trying to like, I see things like that um, where people just do it for, strictly for the transactional value of like you bring influence. We want to use your, your influence to basically market this brand, right? And your brand is omnipresent through social platforms that no matter where people are, you can, we can use your influence to get this brand out there. And I just feel like it's just very transactional. I'm not saying that's what you're doing. Obviously Gwyneth has, is a talented person. She's extremely successful. She's probably a great pony to bet on. You sure. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, 
but it's just, I just, it's just weird. The, the world is so different right now. There's just so many well, I mean, things happening. It's, it's, it's no difference in the evolution of like advertising yeah. and marketing over yeah. the last hundred years. It's just a new era. And yeah. so people have these incredible brands and influence that get you trial. So imagine if you can get trial and have something that's absolutely delicious mm-hmm. and packaged with thought and stress tested and designed like a professional restaurant company yeah. that's making you healthier and feel better. So we're almost ready for the speed round, but again, a mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. How have you personally transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were when you got started in this industry? I'm a lot more patient. Yeah. Uh, I was very intense and um, thought that's what it took to be successful in this business, but you don't need to be like that. And Mm -hmm. I think I've calmed down a lot for sure. Beautiful. I've loved this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check ACH or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ bill pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. This episode is brought to you by Sculpture Hospitality. Let's face it, running a restaurant is hard work and very time consuming. You are constantly managing customers, employees, vendors, menus, marketing. The list goes on. Want something taken off your plate, especially something that's time consuming? I don't know, maybe something like inventory management? Is that a yes, a resounding yes? Well, then Sculpture Hospitality can help. Leave your inventory management to the experts while you focus on making your customers happy. With Sculpture, not only can they do the physical inventory counting for you, but they dive deep into your inventory data, combining that with your sales and purchase data using seamless integrations to give you real insights and visibility into your restaurant's profitability and putting your profits back where they belong. One other thing I think is really neat about Sculpture Hospitality 
hospitality is that you're not just paying for the inventory management. You're also paying for the expertise of the individual doing the inventory, whereas other inventory solutions just give you the system and not the human being. If you're ready to gain complete visibility and control of your bar or restaurant inventory, then get your free no obligation inventory consultation from Sculpture Hospitality. Right now, visit www.sculpturehospitality.com slash unstoppable. That's sculpture like the pretty things made out of stone that artists create hospitality.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Yeah, I think that um, a friend of mine, actually James Starr, who has Prime Pizza and Blood Sows, Send well, we were the, trying to get him on the show. Yeah, well, we're well we dropped him in right now. So <laughs> he's awesome. Um, one of the slickest restaurateurs out there reminds me a lot of like Sam Fox. Okay. And um, he, uh, he sent me this documentary called Inventing David Geffen. And he goes, you remind me of David Geffen. And I'm like, I'm not David Geffen. That guy's like the smartest person in the world. He goes, no, no, no. The way you are able to attract talent and bring talent, and bring people together to make great things. I would say that my greatest strength is... I'm constantly hunting for talent, whether I'm sitting at a ball game or I go eat at a restaurant or I was in a casino two weeks ago. We were looking at another project and I saw two chefs walk through and their kitchens were tight. How are you guys doing? You happy here? Like I am always hunting for amazing people. And I would say that that is my number one skill is sort of being aware of the talent that's out there and, and looking for great people and, and identifying great people that can impact the business that we're in. That is a great talent to have for sure. What is your biggest weakness? Um, I can't shut it off. Uh, yeah, I, my mind is racing all the time and I coach three sports teams and I'm busy, (laughs) but, um, I love this business. It's given me everything in life and I've had unbelievable experiences, but it's hard to, you know, you talk about social media, like Instagram is this, this dream of food pictures all day and inspiration. And, um, so it's very hard to sort of rest my mind and I'm getting better at that. I think being busy helps me with that. When you're growing teams or when you were growing teams in the past, what were you looking for? What questions were you asking? Yeah. So the number, I saw this from a New York times article in the business section and I think they have a CEO corner. It's on Wednesdays or Sundays. And there was a, somebody really bright on there that they asked, what's your number one interview question? And I'm a firm believer in this. And I would argue this. I'd li- I like actually debating this. But it's, um, it's when you're in an interviewer with somebody, you should ask them to write the job description of what they want to do 100% of the time. Mm. And I don't believe, and I think this is hard in a restaurant space in particular, but I believe as soon as you as a person or the, you can get somebody into what they want to do with 100% of their time, that's where you'll find their brilliance. Yeah. For the record, this is what I want to do 100% of the time is sit down and talk to amazing people. I love this. So I feel like, I don't know, this feels right. Yeah, this is Uh, great, man. I really enjoy it too. (laughs) Uh, Share one code of conduct or behavior you taught your teams. A way to be a core value. Yeah, I would go back to be hard on the standard and easy on people. And I, I think everybody in the restaurant space should do that. Yeah. Make great food, keep the place clean, have unbelievable hospitality, be kind to each other, take care of each other. It's a really, really difficult space, and but be very, very hard on the standard because people are paying for the product. Yeah. What's your biggest challenge today? Biggest challenge today, I think, is prioritization. 
Um, we have so many exciting things. We're getting a lot of opportunities in our business. I only shared two things we're working on. We're working on six or seven things. Um, and um, they're all very fun. They're with incredible people. We're quite humbled by the response to our group. We don't even have a website, and we get like a project offer a day. And we have so many great names associated. Yeah, like Mario Del Perro is one of a kind. Nathan yeah. Tan is one of a kind. Tony Owen, one of a kind. I mean, I left the dream team to join another dream team. So um, I'm very humbled by my experience here. What's one uncommon standard of service you taught your staff that wasn't common throughout the industry to go above and beyond? Yeah, like a service tip? Yeah. Yeah, I would say let people swing at you. You know, when you have a staff member or a guest and something's not right, even if it is right, just hear them out. Mm-hmm. Let them get it all out and then let them swing at you again. Let them swing at you again and then correct it and grovel. And um, it's so easy to be so defensive and fight back. And People just want to be heard. Yeah, I think, and, and I think it's just, you know, there's some Nathan, my partner, was like, I just admire people that, you know, don't always need to correct everybody. And they... They just let it go and they quietly go around and whisper and they don't need to look like the smartest people in the room. And Mm -hmm. I think just take a step back, be cool and calm. And I think that one thing for restaurant managers is when the chaos happens in the restaurant and you're getting slammed, it's important to slow down and speed up. And we tend to sort of freak out and just slow down and assess what's going on, find the biggest things to work on and just be calm, cool and collective like a duck. You know, smooth on the surface, but underneath your your feet are moving really fast. Yes, uh, I love but that but in a leadership role, it's important to stay composed. There's another duck analogy. I think it has to do with waterproof, but I'm not going to get into that one right now. Um, <laughs> what is one book that's a must read to become a better person or a restaurateur? All right, I'm going to give you three books because I'm, I'm a reader. Um, one the one for like restaurant operators is the Four Disciplines of Execution, okay. and it gives you sort of wildly important goals you should never be working on more than two to three things you should stay on time and create a score for the four disciplines of execution if you're a foodie and you're searching to continue to make the world better through food and refine things read hungry by renee redzepi which is this unbelievable journey of him opening up restaurants in tulum i got to go to one but of his search for um incredible food and like the levels of detail and passion for getting things to be ultimately delicious. It, I couldn't put the book down. And then the, from an, for an entrepreneur stake is just read shoe dog by Phil Knight, the Nike book. Um, unbelievable story. And it will make you feel a bit comfortable as you're having this sort of zigzag to running your company. Well, so that was four disciplines of execution, hungry by Renee Zeppi, a red Zeppi and a shoe dog. Um, that was the, yep. the, the Nike, Nike book. guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Collaborate. It's one of our core values. Collaborate. And unstoppable. It's like it, you it, need to. Yeah, we were so going to cheesecake. Look, I, we were sort of like Apple. Yeah, you know, like we not comparing ourselves to Apple, the massive, brilliant company, but like we were very guarded and cagey with our information, and I and I know why. Um, we had a lot to protect. Yeah. Um, but there are ways if the, you want to make great music, like Crosby, Stills, and Young, when they added, and Young came to Nash, they made their best music. Like, yeah. there's a way to say, I'm not the best baker in the world. He is. Like, let me set my ego aside and just go, let's go have a cup of coffee and talk about how to make great bread. The, the most successful local restaurant tours, it's like they're all in bed together. You know what I'm saying? They all recognize each other for their 
their strengths and their weaknesses and they, and they have multiple partners. It's very polyamorous restaurant family where they're just like, I don't just need to be with this one person. Like they do a bar program way better than we do. We do this way better. What if we collaborated on a restaurant where they run the bar program and we stick in the kitchen, you find somebody who's incredible service yeah. pro like it's, it's creating opportunities for other people and coming together, going further together. Yeah. If you're a creative type and you can set your ego aside and you don't need all the credit, like, man, there's good work can be done when you collaborate. Richmond comes to mind, Richmond, Virginia, where there were multiple restaurants that existed at one time and everybody seemed to be in bed with each other where there's a guy who had multiple partners that were in different restaurants over here and then over there. And then this person, and like they, it was weird. It was like a mastermind where they all just kind of got together and they controlled their lane. And they, it, when it, when you break down the barriers and you, you know, your lane and you, you recognize the strengths in others, and you put your your ego aside, you can go so far. Yeah, and, and a, a good part of collaboration is being open to feedback. Yeah. Um, what's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough? Or I just asked you that question, didn't I? Yeah. Well, one thing hey, I, I can add to that, though. The one the, on the one thing restaurateurs is just be specific with the thank yous to your staff and your managers. Yes. Like, look, don't ever. I hate this. I'll, I'll vent for a second. Do it. Don't ever leave the restaurant without saying goodbye to your people. Mm. Like I see it all the time. Like the leader of the restaurant, the people that make the decision about your schedule, how much you make, if you're going to grow, they don't go and look their, their team in the eye and shake their hands. Every single time I'm in a restaurant for my whole career, if there's 70 people there, I go and say goodbye to everybody. I love that. And be specific around thank yous and make people feel good. I love that. Great, great, great advice. Name one service you've hired or outsourced or believe somebody should. Uh, so this is not necessarily a technology, but a group of people who do one thing really well that you should just outsource to collaborate with. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. I think that the thing I would say for chefs and just having been in food is that one I'm not going to give you one service, but I'll give you an idea that when you can get an opportunity, if you're a decision maker in a food business, whether it's one restaurant or multiple restaurants to really go to the people that are creating the products and have good discussions around where you want to refine or evolve the product. We've, we've had, we've done some magical things there. So I think sometimes it, there's this, and it's easier when you're in a massive company feeding hundred million people a year to, to go to a big company and say, change your product for me. But there's a lot of good work that can be done with restaurant operators and chefs, with people that are creating the products. And there's this dead space in between that where a lot of restaurateurs are very accepting of taking the off-the-shelf product. And when you can get into a point where you can have conversations with the owners of businesses that are creating the products to refine it, that's a missed opportunity in the restaurant space. It's not evolving enough. Got it. Uh, what is one piece of technology uh, that really excites you right now that you think people should be investing in to make their business more efficient, more profitable, better communication, anything along those lines? Yeah, there's two. One is Hyphen, which is a robotics company um, formerly known as Ono, and they're creating a bowl and salad dispensing system for, I think, fast casual restaurants. A bunch of former Tesla executives, Apple executives, Sweetgreen executives, and incredible company up in Northern California, and they're going to change the game big time. And that was hyphen. How do you spell that? Hyphen, like H Y P H. And it was also my understanding there'd be no spelling in this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no. I'm not the one that. Uh, I would hate if somebody asked me that. No question. math, no spelling, no <laughs> yeah. English. Uh, the uh, and then the second one is this company uh, called Kerbit, which um, they're popping up right now, and they're helping out with like. Um, 
you know, GPS and ways to get food out from the kitchen out to a car in a pickup situation. And they have a ton of other details of things they're doing, but it's really starting to pop. It's kind of like long range systems using like, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but like they know where your car comes in the parking lot, but they're also getting your information. So it's helping mom and pop restaurants out and even big chains a lot. If the food comes out of the kitchen, it gets out to the car much quicker. So like an example of, and I could spend a lot of time on telling you what they do, but you call a restaurant today and they're like, well, 25 minutes into your to go orders ready. Okay. Based off of what? <laughs> it's been 25 minutes forever. I mean, maybe it's a fried calamari and it takes three minutes. It's going to be sitting on the counter in the yeah, bar for three minutes. This sort of solves stuff. all that problems. Great founders, great things to curb it. They're doing really well. And then there's a company that, um, three, uh, it's called accelerate, which is this, uh, this company led by this really soulful founder, accelerate, accelerate with one C. Got it. And they're putting um, virtual kitchens in the back of mom and pop restaurants. Mm. So there, he came up, his dad had a pizzeria. He was a DoorDash executive and he's helping mom and pops be more profitable. It's very soulful, purpose-driven, and they're helping with revenue in the back of mom and pop restaurants, which is an awesome project. Yes. Last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, uh, the restaurants you've been a part of, your legacy, uh, these things were lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity. What were those three pieces? Yeah, I'm going to beat a dead horse here because I think that you need to over communicate the things that matter. Be hard on the standard, easy on people. Be, be, one? be incredibly grateful for your time on this planet and humble. And so just try to gratitude, l- gratitude and, um, and I would say tune in before you turn on. Like I love that. just, just in my buddy of mine, Tom Schmidt, who was a cheesecake guy told us that in alignment one time. And I just think that, you know, people, life is hard. And it's been harder than ever in the hundred years that last hundred years, like take it easy on people and check on, check in on people before you start going deep on them. Chef Donald Moore. I've loved this conversation. Uh, We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Yeah, I think, um, I think chef Bob Okura for the cheesecake factory, not to stay in that lane, but he is, um, he's been there for over 30 years and you'd be, it'd be a missed opportunity for you to hear one of, from one of the greatest tastemakers in the history of the restaurant business. Chef Bob, look out, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And, uh, how can we connect? Maybe if we have an idea that we think is impressive and we're looking for capital or what's the best way to connect? Yeah. So we are, our, our company is Dom food group. Um, we're in Los Angeles and you know, my, our, my email is Donald at Dom It's the first time I've ever given my email out publicly, but I'll do it for you, Eric. Some people will give their phone number. Yeah, I'm sort of a private guy. I'm not giving you my phone number. Uh, but, uh, look, we, uh, the purpose of our company is the better food, best people We want to make all the food better in the world. Um, and do it with the best people. But part of what we do is we do invest, we do incubate, we do operate, but we take conversations all the time. We're like, we're not going to invest in your business, but we would help. We'll help you. Yeah. And we'll point you in the right direction because we want to see you be successful. And I don't know what episode number this is going to be, but if you listen to the beginning, I always say what the episode number is and the episode number is in the title. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. Um, and we'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any tools, services, books recommended. And I just cannot say it. Thank say it enough. Thank you so much. 
Donald for taking the time to be a guest on the show. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here and uh, I'll do anything to make my wife and kids proud. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Donald Moore, for diving deep into the history of the Cheesecake Factory and how they've been able to scale while maintaining their culture and their their commitment to excellence. Just great stuff. And man, we have so many cool things happening over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Uh, one of the things I really want to do is slow down. And so many times after these long trips on the road, after you know having these two hour long conversations with these amazing restaurateurs, I still can't help but to feel like I'm leaving a lot on the table. And I really want Restaurant Stoppable to slow down and to develop relationships and to build a community of amazing people. And I think the way to do that is to literally slow down and to go deeper. So I'm going to try something different this time around. And now the guests that we had on the show on this most recent trip to LA, I've given them the opportunity to pitch me oh, a conversation, a topic, a workshop. If you were to come back on the show, what would you want to talk about? And our first two guests, Troy Hooper and said, Moses are going to be live in the network this week. Uh, Troy is going to be live today at four thirty PM Eastern and said will be live tomorrow at 1 PM Eastern Tuesday at 1 PM Eastern. And uh, Troy's going to be going to the six areas your restaurant must deeply understand. So this is like the process he takes his new clients through to give them a diagnosis of where they're at. And then, um, Seth is going to be going deep into what it means to pour with heart. And he's going to basically give you the training he gives his staff uh, when they're in, they join his, his restaurant group, Pouring with Heart, with how to create long-lasting repeat guests, return guests. Uh, loyalty is basically, he's going to teach us how to create loyalty with our guests. And that's going to be a really fun conversation. And also, uh, we had... Bob Sloop joined us a couple of weeks back to talk about when you know you're ready to invest in an enterprise solution. One of our listeners reached out and said, Hey, I, I would love to work with Bob and Bob and this individual, Michael McGovern. And I'm willing to say his name because he's going to be open to basically recording this whole process of Bob coming into his business, coaching him, onboarding him, trying to figure out what the right enterprise solution will be for him, whether that's restaurant 365 or compete. And we're going to record the whole thing. Open book management, a to Z. I don't know anybody else who's doing this and I couldn't be more excited. Uh, so if you want to be a part of all these live events, be sure to join the network. And I also want to give a special shout out to Savannah and Sam. If you guys are in the need of social media, videography, photography, uh, they're on the road with me, helping me capture all these stories and they're doing gr- a great job. I'm lucky to have them in my corner and you would be lucky to have them in your corner too. It's savinsam.com. Check them out. All right. That's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long until next time. Peace out.